Good morning. How are you? All right, open your Bibles, if you would, if you have a Bible here, to uh, Hebrews 10. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. been talking about faith. At the end of Hebrews 10, we read in verse 35, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now last week we we began a well, actually, several weeks ago, we began to talk about faith. And last week, we, we looked at Hebrews 11. And a little review is, is we talked about the, the fact that the object of our faith ultimately is God himself. He's the object. So we believe God because we believe he is true. We believe God because we believe God is faithful. We believe God because we believe God is all-wise. We believe God because we believe God is all-powerful, right? So we put our trust in God because he is both good and he is able. So um, when God speaks, he cannot lie. He's the unlying God. Anything he says must be true, therefore it is trustworthy. We can rely on God's word because of his nature. So um, the word of God is given to us in his scriptures, right? And so to trust the word is to trust the author of that word. To trust the word of God is to trust God. Now, some people accuse uh, Christians of bibliolatry, which is the worship of the Bible. Uh, We do not worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. Amen? Amen. The value of the Bible resides in its ultimate author, which is God himself. This is why we we do not trust other holy books, because God did not author them. God spoke this word, and thus this word is trustworthy, because his character is trustworthy. So secondly, I I think we began to discuss this uh, last week, is that that, um, faith, true faith leads to action. We, we see this uh, in, in all throughout Hebrews 11. For example, we'll just look at a few. It says in Hebrews 11:4, By faith, Abel offered to God more excellent sacrifice. In other words, by faith, he was moved to make a particular kind of offering. We see Noah in verse 7, by faith, Noah being divinely warned, in other words, God spoke, he heard God's word of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Noah didn't just say, okay, thanks for the warning, God, I'll get an umbrella. No, he moved. He took action based upon the word. The word mixed with faith led to action. We see this uh, in the case of Joshua we talked about last week. This is one of those stories that uh, the, the skeptic makes fun of. 
you know the story, right, in the book of Joshua. It says in verse 30 here, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. So what is the relationship between walking around a building, blowing a trumpet, and the walls falling down? There is no relationship. Well, how did that happen? Well, it was a miracle, right? So if it, it, the, the fact that Joshua and the troops walked around the building, the fact that they blew the trumpet was the evidence of their faith. The evidence of things not yet seen was the fact that because they believed, they therefore acted. And in their case, they acted foolishly, actually, didn't they? That's kind of silly, walking around blowing a trumpet at a wall. I mean, think about it. But God's word commanded them to do that, so they did it in faith. So faith always leads to some form of action. This is why um, in Hebrews, we'll go back for a moment to Hebrews 3 and 4, earlier in the book of Hebrews. The apostle is... is, um, you could say he's exhorting them. He's exhorting them to believe, exhorting them to faith. And in chapter 3, he brings up the account of the, the testing in the wilderness where um, Israel, and if you read the account of Israel through the wilderness, you see that they repeatedly are brought to various tests and they, unfortunately, repeatedly fail. Okay? And here, he says in chapter 3, he says uh, in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says because this is written actually in Psalms, today, if you will hear his voice, or his word, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. And then he goes on and he talks about how they didn't listen to God, they didn't have faith in God. Then he goes on at the end of the chapter 3, he says, uh, and to, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now in verse 19, some of your versions will say they could not enter in because of disobedience. Why the difference in the translation? Because the Greek word here can't be translated either way. Literally, it is the word which means not persuaded. They were not persuaded that what God said was true, therefore they didn't act. To, to, to turn it around, if we are persuaded that what God says is true, we will act. Amen? If we truly believe, our faith leads to action. And this is the pattern we see here in uh, Hebrews and really all throughout Scripture. Faith leads to action, or you could say faith leads to to obedience, which is why this word not persuaded can mean unbelief or disobedience. Because so much disobedience is rooted in unbelief. We don't obey God's word because we don't really believe God's word, you see? So the root problem is unbelief. The, the, root pro, the, the fruit is a particular act of, of disobedience, but, but the root is the unbelief. We see this in, in many, many areas of our life. One of the most obvious is the, is the area of giving. And by the way, I'm not making a, a, there's not a financial plea here. It's an example. 
I believe God provides. Amen? But does my giving reflect that profession? I've told you this story a million times, but I'm going to tell it one more time. About my, my giving transformation. I was, I, was, I was saved in a church that didn't believe in teaching on giving. They were, they were so averse to offending an unbeliever because of money, they wouldn't even pass a plate. So there was never any discussion about money, never any offering during a service. So I was taught nothing. But I saw things in the Word. And so I, I, I read a book on, on giving, and I, w- and I was convinced as a result of this book on giving that I had a, had a, a responsibility to God to give. I believed, based upon my study, that I was to give a tithe. Now, I know in the Christian community, there's a big debate about tithing versus, uh, you know, free will giving and different terms people use. That's not the point I'm making. The point is, is that I was not doing something that God wanted me to do. And my excuse was, is I didn't have the money. (laughs) But what I learned was that that the problem wasn't I didn't have funds. It's that I didn't have faith. The unbelieving, excuse me, the, the ungiving, the ungenerous Christian is not a person with a fund problem. They have a faith problem. And if you read Malachi 3, this is the only place in the Bible where God is is reproving Israel for their, their, um, what's the word? Almost like their mediocre worship of him. And and it it was manifested in different ways. And one of the things he reproves them of is their failure to give. And in Malachi 3, God says, test me now in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. Now, if you you know your Bible at all, you know that that we are never told to test God. In other words, testing God's a bad thing to do. Right? That's That's what the writer of Hebrews is reproving right here. They tested God by their unbelief. So whenever testing God's talked about, it's a bad thing. Except this one place. This is the one place in the Bible where God says, I'm going to give you permission to test me. And I remember saying, okay, well, here we go. We're going to find out if God is really true. And I had been reading and studying, and so uh, I got paid one day, and I wrote my bills, and I wrote my giving check, and there it was, and I looked at my balance, and I had like $3 to last me two weeks. I had some gas in my car, almost no food in my refrigerator. I mean, I'm a single young guy, right? You don't have a bunch of food in your fridge. You have peanut butter and, you know, eggs or something, you know. Like, okay, well, so I drove the bank, I deposited my check, and, and there it was, and I had all my mail, and I realized that if I put the envelopes, if, if I put my, these were the days when you paid bills for the mail, by the way. I realized that in the post office of the bank were next to each other. I realized if I drove from the bank to the post office and actually put those things in, in the, paid those bills, and I had this envelope with my, with my tithe in it, if I'm going to do this, 
I'm, I'm walking by faith. I am walking by faith because for the next two weeks, I have no money. I don't have money for gas. Anything happens, I don't have money for food. I don't really have any money. What am I going to do? So I said, okay, God. And he, and he brought to mind that Malachi 3, test me now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I, I, I put the envelopes in, did my tithe, was broke. I am broke. And then I actually was on my way to meet somebody for lunch. So here I am going to lunch with no money. And I thought, okay, well, now what do I do? Do I, do I sit down and say, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know I don't have any money, so I'm going to not eat today or, you know. Or, and then like, well, no, if I do that, then that's, that's going to look like a backhanded way of asking for money. You know what I mean? That's going to look manipulative. So I'm just going to go and eat lunch and trust God. Okay? So I go to lunch, and I, I we sit down. We have a wonderful meal. We're talking. And uh, the bill's being delivered. I'm like, well, here we go. What do I do now? He says, oh, by the way. And he pulls an envelope out. He says, some people at church wanted me to give this to you. And he gave me an envelope with $300 in it. Yay, God. I had $3 in my account, and I ended up with $300 in my hand. That's not 100%, 100-fold. What's that, 1,000-fold? I'm not good at math. You get the point? Well, that was, that, you know, I use that because for me, it was, it was a pivotal moment in my life that shifted how I began to live in this area. But I've seen many, many examples since then. I remember a number of years ago praying. This is in December. December is always a bad year, a bad time of the year because I look forward to Christmas and I love it, but Christmas is expensive, especially when you have kids, right? So you got to buy presents, you got cards and decorations. If you, so it's expensive. And Christmas and December is also when um, I got to pay my 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 homeowner's insurance, which is a lot. I have to pay other taxes at the time, which are a lot. And it ends up, it's like financially extremely stressful. Anybody feel stressed out in December? So I remember praying, I'm like, God, you know, I don't know what to do, but, you know, the money's really not there, and uh, I'd like to have Christmas this year and buy my kids a few things and blah, 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 you know. And then lo and behold, within a day or two, a, a Christmas card shows up early. It's got $1,000 on it. I can tell you story after story of things that God has done like that. Now, those are just stories. Those two are just stories about financial things. But there are other ways that God works in your life. But the, one of the reasons these are great examples is because the the... This is an area where our faith, or lack thereof, can be seen concretely. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to believe in vague generalities, right? It's easy to believe, you know, I'm going to pray and send good vibes around the globe and somebody in Africa will be touched by the Holy Ghost. But to believe... And see, not see and believe, but believe and then see as a result of believing. 
to act on the thing not seen before you see it. Abraham was promised a son, right? At, at a time in his life, the life of he and his wife, where it was physically, humanly not possible to have a child. And yet the scripture says he believed God. He believed God. So not seeing any evidence at the time, he trusted God and he believed in God. And this, the faith then was rewarded, right, by God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. There's so many areas of our life where we're not connecting our faith with our action. Or should I say, we're not acting based upon what we're saying. God is so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more um, wise than we can ever imagine. And what he can do with our mustard seed of faith, what he can do, well, it's just beyond anything we can think or ask. That's what Ephesians says, but ask anyway. Ask anyway. You should be able to tell stories of miracles in your life. You should have your miracle notebook. If you're walking by faith, you will have a miracle notebook. Don't limit God by unbelief. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. Do not, do not limit him by unbelief. So faith leads to our action. But faith also, a couple more points quickly, faith also often leads to sacrifice. Now here in Hebrews 11 again, we see if you, and if you know the backdrop of the story of Abraham, it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. So he went out not knowing where he was going. Then it says by faith he dwelt in this foreign land. Uh, then it says, um, it, then it begins to talk about Sarah's faith and how she conceived. So, so Abraham's exercising faith all along the way. So he was called out from his family and he exercised faith. He dwelt in the land by faith. Then he gets a promise that he's going to have an heir and he exercises faith. But from the moment of that promise to the reception of the, of the, to the fulfillment of that promise was 25 years. Then the most astounding thing of all is that after God fulfills the promise, then God asks him to do something which seems to be totally at odds with the promise itself. Because he says, he says, I'm going to give you an heir. But then when his son gets a little bit older, probably a teenager, then he says, now offer him up to me as a sacrifice. Well, that's like saying, God saying, I'm going to give you an heir. And it's through him I'll bless the world. But then now I'm going to kill him. Well, it doesn't make any sense. So his, his faith was, um, led him to sacrifice that thing or that person that he loved the most. 
We see this um, in the case of Moses here, where it says that Moses, because of his faith, look at this in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, meaning he refused a position of honor, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So in other words, because of his faith, he was willing to give up honor. He was willing to give up pleasure. He was willing to give up riches. In other words, faith led to sacrifice. Faith led to sacrifice. You know, uh, our, our charismatic brethren are, are, are trying. They talk a lot about faith, and, and, and that's a good thing. The problem is, is that often the message you hear is that the faith is how you simply get. And that's the end of the story. Faith is what you do to get. Now, there's a truth there, right? It's true. But it's, that's not the end of the story. The other part of the story is faith is how you give, or faith is how you sacrifice, or faith is how you surrender, or faith is how you lay down. You see? And at the end of Hebrews 11, it talks about all those who by faith chose to die as martyrs. Well, that seemed like a, a, a defeat of faith. No, it wasn't a defeat of faith. It was the, perhaps the highest example of faith. So faith often leads us to do the hard thing. You see, because faith means I believe God's will is this. And because I believe this, I will do it. Even if it requires sacrifice on my part. There's a book out called Do the Hard Thing, right? Pretty popular right now. Do the hard thing. As Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Not take up your couch and follow me. <laughs> Lastly, faith is often tested. The, the, the prime example, of course, is Abraham again, where um, he gets a promise and he has to wait 25 years. Not about nobody you, but I have trouble waiting 25 seconds to heat my sandwich in the microwave. You know what I mean? Can you wait 25 days? Can you wait 25 minutes? Can you wait 25 days for God to answer a prayer? Can you wait 25 weeks? How many, what is 25 weeks? A half a year? Can you wait 25 months? 25 years he waited. And yet God fulfilled his word. And we see this pattern in scripture. God promises David the kingdom. And what was it, 16 years later before he was actually on the throne? That's a long time to wait. We see this pattern where God makes a promise, but he waits to fulfill it. He's testing our faith. He's testing our faith. Back to the subject of giving, just because it's on my mind for some reason. I've seen people, I, I give a, a couple sermons on giving, like, yeah, okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's trust God. Yeah, you ready? Let's go. And they actually finally make a d donation. They did it, man. They did it. And they're like, 
Well, I didn't like get any money out of heaven this week, so I ain't doing that anymore. Well, that's not how it works. You don't obey because you have some ulterior motive. Right? Well, I'm really giving not because I'm, I'm, I love God and I love his work. and, and, and No, I'm going to do it because I'm really investing. See? And I want to get a return. That's why I'm doing it. No. Sometimes when you do the right thing, things get worse. Can I just say that? Can I just say that? Sometimes things actually get worse in your life by doing the right thing. That's why James tells us, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith works endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and whole or complete. In other words, believe... And as you, as you continue to believe, and as your faith is challenged, believe, and as you hit trials, believe, and, and as you are, go through this process, there's a transformation that is taking place in your life, in your heart. You are changing on the inside. You are becoming a mature Christian. A, a Christian that is truly Christ-like in character because they've been through tests and trials. And they have endured. Remember, a delay is not a denial. The word wait does not mean no. It means wait. And sometimes God hears prayers and they're answered quickly. And sometimes he hears our prayers and the, the, there's a long time. One more story, then we've got we to take the Lord's Supper. I, I was witnessing to someone long, many years ago and I love to tell you all the details. It's a really funny story. But anyway, basically I was sharing with someone at work at the time. And the end result was the person uh, got so mad at me that they told me to go to hell. And they said, go to hell. I don't want you to ever talk to me about this again. I said, well, I'm, I'm saved. I can't go to hell. <laughs> but anyway, I never brought Jesus up again. But I did pray. And I remember in my, I was driving my car and I was praying for this, this woman. And, and, and I had a, just a profound peace from the Lord. I think it was the gift of faith, really, that she would become a Christian. I didn't know when. I don't know how. I, okay, I believe. I believe. Then years later, I don't know how many years, five, six, seven Years later, I, I run into this person. And the first thing she says to me is, I'm a Christian now. Believe the Lord. Believe the Lord. He is trustworthy. Do not cast away your confidence which has great reward if you will endure. Amen? Amen? As we take the Lord's Supper, if you remember, I began this brief series on faith around the Lord's table because the, the real qualification for, for partaking of the Lord's Supper is faith. 
Faith in the Lord Jesus as the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead. Faith meaning not only knowledge, not only intellectual assent, but a personal trust. In other words, we, we believe, if you will, not only with the mind, but also with the will. We rely upon Jesus. Jesus saves you. He does not help you save yourself. Jesus saves us by his grace, not based upon our works, but received by faith. As the word says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? It is a gift of God. So God gives us his son Jesus to die on a cross, bearing our sins. He's buried, he rises from the dead, and in in that act of resurrection shows that he has conquered sin and death. And then he gives to those who trust him the gift of eternal life. So that when we die physically, we may live with him forever in heaven. Amen? If you believe, then yes, you are welcome to take the elements today, representing his body and his blood. So we're going to pray, and then we'll have the elements passed out to you. After you receive them, hold on to them, and we'll take them together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that you've made, uh, from our perspective, you've made our salvation so easy. Lord, for, for the Lord Jesus, it was not easy. Uh, we thank you for his suffering and passion on our behalf. We thank you for his resurrection and for the gift of eternal life. As we take these elements, Lord, we are professing once again our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.